This podcast is designed for anyone currently with kids or considering becoming a parent. Created to inform, inspire and support you on your parenthood journey. And so, from an in-depth psychotherapeutic understanding of current child development, we bring you Parenting the Next Generation. How not to fuck up your kids. And here we are, back with Parenting the Next Generation, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids, with me, Katie Goldfinch, and Kitty Hagenbach. How are you, Kitty? Very well, Katie. Lovely to be here with you. It's so great to be here with you. So today's episode, we're going to talk about when shit hits the fan, and boy, does it happen a lot. So I'm glad we're doing a whole episode on this. How to support and communicate with your children when life throws you curveballs. We've talked about age-appropriate truth and our information filtering in previous episodes, but it will be good to talk about specific difficulties that often arise in family life. So let's start right at the very beginning, as Mary Poppins always says, and let's talk about a premature birth and dealing with that difficulty. I think this is a really great subject to speak about because it's often not really spoken about and it happens all too frequently. I think very stressed mums often have early delivery of their babies and the medical profession tends to send the parents home while they look after the baby and this little baby is going to need you to be there in whatever capacity you can be there. So if possible, go into the neonatal ward, hang out there. If possible, if you can put your hand on your baby, but certainly talk to your baby, sing to your baby, just be there, have your presence there, encourage them to want to live, encourage them to want to uh, connect. And I can't emphasize this enough. And I'm thinking of one um, client that I worked with and she had two children, perhaps they were say age sort of eight and six or something like that. And then she had a premature baby and the hospital sent her home and the little baby wasn't doing well and she contacted me. And I said, please go back into the hospital. Don't matter what they say to you, be by his side, stay there and connect with that baby. Encourage them, you know, literally connect. Tell them how important they are to you. Just talk to them, sing to them, if possible, touch them and stay with them. And whatever arrangements you have to make for the other children, make them. She kept saying her other children needed her. But in this case, her little baby needed her way more than the others. So she found somebody else to take care of the others. You sometimes have to fight the medical profession to be able to do this. And if it's a prolonged period of time in an incubator, it's a very lonely place. It's a very isolating place. And that loneliness and isolation stays with people all their lives. I'm quite frequently working with people who still have this memory, which is an unconscious memory of being completely cut off, completely alone and unable to really do anything for themselves at all. So connection and communication is so important. And if you did experience that or you were put in an incubator when you were a child and you don't know about that, finding that out could be quite significant. Definitely. It's really, really helpful to know about our own early beginnings because we now know that our early beginnings are the most imprinting of our entire lives and those imprints last all of our life. I was working with someone only this week who'd been three months in an incubator and she knows about it, but it still keeps 
um, the, the, the sort of memories in her body keep being triggered and she keeps finding herself in that sort of felt sense of isolation and powerlessness. Wow. Would you like to say any more on that before we move on to a different topic? No, I think it's fine. I think it's just it's something that has a very deep imprint because the brain is so deeply patterned from the very earliest moment. And in an incubator, the other thing I think that happens is that the people who come to look after you, they're probably different people at different times, so it's not possible to bond with anybody. But also, as they come to help you and look after you, they're probably going to hurt you because your skin is so thin, you do need to be fed, you do need to be looked after, but it often sets up quite a fear of intimacy because of this early life of people approaching you and you can't defend yourself, but it's also painful. Mm. Wow. Wow, I've never considered that before. Gosh. Yeah, I think most people don't consider it, which is why I like to talk about it. Just And uh, so it's it's definitely something to find out about your own birth and ask your parents to be as honest as possible with you. Do you know anything about statistically how many kids are in an incubator right at the beginning? I don't know the answer to that, but I think that the more we stressed we get, the longer we work through pregnancy, the more likely we are to have um, premature babies because the baby really needs a fairly relaxed womb rather than a very stressed womb. So I think we can think about, we spoke before in the preparation phase and also in the pregnancy phase about, you know, sending some time to relax each day so that your baby's not too stressed because stress can be reasons that babies are born early. Mm. So moving on to a new shit hitting the fan, a very common one and something applicable to me, separation and divorce. How do you manage the breakup of a parental unit? I think this is a, a vital subject to really speak quite a little bit about because it's more and more common, unfortunately, that couples separate. Yeah, may even separate before the baby's born. Some people have a baby because I think it's going to fix the relationship. But actually, children put more pressure on relationships very often. And quite a lot of people leave very early in the child's life. They separate very early in the child's life. So, of course, again, it's depending on the age of the child, how you're going to communicate. But it's really important to communicate. So if you realize things are going badly between you and you're heading towards separation, it's really important to give a bit of pre-warning to children at whatever age they're at, because they're going to pick up this tension in the family. They're going to start trying to figure out what's going on. They often ask now, kids often ask, are you going to divorce? Mm. So children ideally want their parents to be together because that's what they have come into, hopefully, and that's what they know to be normal. But it's not always the best thing to stay together because if you're going to fight and have a very either sort of aggressive and argumentative environment or a very tense environment or a very unhappy environment, it's not better to stay together. So if you're going to separate, the first thing is a bit of warning about, you know, we're not getting on that well, we're not good friends at the moment and we're trying to decide what to do. Are you going to divorce? I don't know yet, but perhaps, but perhaps not we don't know yet however if we do you will always be well looked after by both of us but you know you're very precious to both of us and we will always look after you I think the next thing is is to sort of say how it would affect the child so now you've got to the point saying okay I think we are going to separate and that means that you know mummy and daddy would live in different houses or if you're a same-sex couple mummy and mummy or however you like to refer to yourselves and what that actually means for the child so very young children 
need to stay with the mother and have visiting with the father, not to be separated, because sometimes now there's a bit of a push to send babies to fathers, but young babies need their mother. They need a continuous relationship with the mother when they're very young. So if they're slightly older, then it's going to be what sort of custody? How are you going to organise custody? Is it going to be, you know, every other weekend and a day in the week or 50-50? In my experience, there's no good way to look after children after divorce. There's no satisfactory way. Kids get used to it. They put up with it. They normally don't like having two houses, etc., etc. But it's more common these days, so it's less of a stigma. But it's still a very big disruption for a child. So the other thing that's really important is to explain to children that they haven't caused this. They very often think that they've caused it, and if I hadn't been so rude the other day, or if I'd done my homework, or if I had been kinder, maybe this wouldn't have happened. They really need to know that this has nothing to do with them and that parents just decide they cannot continue the living together. They will continue to look after you, however, and you need to explain how that will be. I really dissuade people from putting a sugar-coated pill on the thing, oh, it'd be wonderful, you can have two holidays and two homes, etc., etc., etc. It's not what kids want. It isn't sweeter to have two homes. It definitely isn't. So be real about the divorce, depending on whether you're the person who wants it or doesn't want it, managing your own emotion around it and the really important thing is not to use the children as collateral not to take out your anger with your partner by you know in some way controlling the children or manipulating that takes a very grown-up mature person who's going to accept that I have some responsibility and why this relationship broke down it's not all about my partner I'm also in some way accountable here and really to put the children first here, which is to be civil in front of the children. If you have to fight with your partner, do it away from the children. And be honest a bit, you know, if you're upset, I'm really upset about this, I didn't expect it, and we'll work it out. It's so important to be honest about what's going on, again, age appropriately, and then be reassuring. Kids need reassurance. Mm. Often kids can play parents off one another or they can certainly use it to their advantage to kind of get more access or freedom or stuff do you think that that's a retaliation or a a sort of act out of behavior because it's rooted in difficulty very likely I would think I mean I don't think anything always happens and it's sort of one size fits all but I think very likely children will be upset and they'll try and get some sort of advantage or vengeance or whatever it's going to be and think okay well I can really talk dad into doing that mum would never do that or vice versa so it can be that if it's possible and if relationships are good enough to spend some time still together as a family because if you come together with a partner and you have one or more children you're always going to be a family at some level And if there can be some expression of that, like you might go for a walk in the park together or you might go out for lunch together, if there can be some kind of relatively harmonious time together, that really helps children as well. And what about parents or caregivers who really fall out? How do you manage that? With great difficulty. And the children really suffer then because, say, for instance, at handover, parents can't speak to each other and there are no handover notes So it's a 50-50 custody, let's say, and one of the children has been sick during the week and not gone to school and is still feeling a bit sick. 
that needs to be communicated to the other parents so that they can continue the caring and be aware that this child needs a bit extra special support this week. It can be done by email. But when you're a child and your parents can't look each other in the eye and they don't speak to each other and they drop you off from the car, they don't get out of the car and you've got to run into the house on your own, this can't feel good. Mm. So I think it's about being accountable for what's my part in the breakdown of the relationship rather than it's always the other person. And what is the fallout when one parent or both parents are bad-mouthing each other or speaking badly of one another to the kids or adults? I think the thing is that, you know, to the child, the father is still their lovely daddy, the mother is still their lovely mother, and so they don't see the problem with the other parent and it's very painful for children who then have to take a side and you could have a couple of siblings they might take different sides but they're going to have to position themselves take a side whose story they're going to believe and very often the child will come in to protect one of the parents so I mean any number of things can happen but if parents cannot manage their own emotional life there's a huge cost to children And it's really super painful when one parent disses the other. It doesn't matter how angry you are, how upset you are, how badly you feel you've been treated. It's really, really, if you love your child, then please, please, please keep that to yourself. Talk to somebody else about that. But do not badmouth the other parent with your children. It's incredibly distressing and upsetting. And then the children actually don't know where to put themselves. Mm. And do you mean by they don't know where to put themselves, do you mean sort of which camp to trust or whether they're allowed to love their parent or...? Yeah, all of that, I think. You know, they will have their own feelings about um, a parent. They're not allowed to have that feeling because if one parent is bad-mouthing the other, it's going to be very difficult for them to hold the love for both their parents because now they're wrong, they shouldn't love them. So say very often one or other partner goes off with somebody else. The one who is left feels abandoned, furious, upset, all very real feelings and all very understandable feelings. But if possible to be big enough just to hold those feelings, talk to somebody else about those feelings, not to diss their partner in front of the children because it's really, really very painful for a child to lose one of the parents. I mean, I think custody now often goes to court. There are huge court battles, and that's all difficult as well. And even older children are brought into court to say who they want to stay with and all sorts of stuff. I mean, this is an absolute minefield of difficulty. So my wish is that people will put their children first. They'll try to understand a bit more and process a bit more their own upset, but not to use the children as a battling ram, you know, not to use them as currency and not to use them as their counsellor either. Mm. You know, there are certain things that children are not up to be discussing. Young children don't want to understand your intimate life, for instance. They don't want to know about what's gone on between you and the parent other than, you know, you haven't got on, you've separated, but they don't want all the nitty-gritty details. So, you know, it's um, contain it yourself a bit more. Find another outlet for it, not your kids. Mm. Anything else you'd like to say on that topic? I think when, in the early years, when you first have children, I think it's good to really think about why is the relationship falling apart? And it's so important to give time to the relationship because children can take over 
the space and they can be having you know endless needs and somewhere it's important to balance out your own needs and the needs of the couple so definitely make the relationship important because it's a container for the children and also to know that actually life will be different with children and you won't be able to be as selfish and as free as before and it's about whether or not you can sustain that because some people just don't want the inconvenience of children or they don't want the restriction so they still want to go out and party all the time but they don't want to stay home so one partner might stay home and the other one might go out and party and it just doesn't help the relationship occasionally it's great to do that but really pay attention to the relationship so that the potential is that the relationship can last I think that's that's something that's so important and all throughout your parenting years pay attention to your relationship Mm. and if you're in the decision making phase of whether you're going to have a family or not with your partner have a very real conversation about the difficulties that are going to arise and whether you'd be able to co-parent as well if you do decide you know that, that it's highly probable that you could end up parting ways once you've started a family and talking about that as an eventuality is that advisable yeah I think be real you know I mean I think yes definitely I think speak about stuff and at least air it and have an an idea about it but there's something about um not having false expectations that when you have children everything's going to be rosy and wonderful and marvellous and there are going to be all those periods of time but there are also going to be challenging times there are also going to be times when you're tired there are also going to be times you disagree disagree about parenting disagree about all sorts of stuff but actually trying to sort of bear in mind you know how do I how do I look at this carefully how do I decide is this is this you know What's my part in this? And I think that it's not for people to stay together necessarily. And staying together for the children isn't really a good idea. Because if you stay together for the children, then the children feel the responsibility of that. I think it's about being able to be be a bit more resilient rather than the first moment things are going a bit awry or they're not feeling either partner's not feeling sufficiently loved or having enough attention. Then I think it's like, okay, you know, we just need to be aware that We won't always have the attention we want. Mm. Moving on now to dealing with illness, which so often comes up. Yeah, this is very real again. And I think that depending on what the illness is and if it's a terminal illness or it's a very severe illness, I think in terms of communication with the children, a lot of people will say, oh, well, we won't tell the children that mum's got cancer or dad's got, you know, something going on. But they know anyway that something's not right. So I think it's helpful to say to children, look, we've got a situation which is really difficult and either whatever the situation is that is happening, say, for instance, you know, a parent has been diagnosed with cancer, this is a serious illness, we are going to get treatment and we hope things will work out really well. But in the meantime, you know, we're going to have to make some changes and we're going to get some extra help or whatever you're going to do. Grandma's going to come or something like that. And then kids are going to ask you, you know, well, will will they die? And you say, I don't think so, unless you know. And if you do know, you say, well, maybe we just don't know what we can do here, but we're going to do our best. So it's much better than pretending things are okay. 
I'm working with someone at the moment whose his mother pretended she was okay, but she wasn't. And the level of anxiety in this person in their late teens is still extremely high. So it would have been better to know this is a really serious situation and uh, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that everything is going to end up well, but we don't know. And if you're honest, the child will actually relax much more than if you're saying, oh, no, it's not at all serious, it's fine, the doctor's coming, but don't worry, you know, mum's going to hospital, but don't worry, you know, (laughs) they are going to worry. You know, mum's got to go into hospital, we have to make some change of arrangements, I'm going to stay home and look after you, or someone's going to come and look after you. And, you know, this will be for a few weeks, we don't know how long, and we're all going to help each other out here. Mm. Yeah, addressing the unspoken, and we've spoken about that in previous episodes, not saying what's obvious must be more painful than saying what's difficult in the first place. Yeah, because really, really, really understand that your children are going to pick up what's going on unconsciously. They're going to pick it up and they're going to worry and worry and worry unless it's explained. But the explanation needs to be age-appropriate and kindly made. Mm. Oh, I like that phrase, kindly made. So loss and death... That's a challenging one. Yeah, these are all challenging things. This is a challenging episode we're speaking about. Yeah, well, shit's hitting the fan. That's challenging. Where do you start cleaning first? So (laughs) I think that loss and death needs to be confronted. Death is something that's become very hidden in our society. I think nothing more certain than we will all die. There's a period of time when children are young that they sort of get worried about death. It's a subject around sort of five, six, seven. They often get very worried about death and kind of ask you, are you going to die? Are you going to die? And I used to say, well, look, you know, one day I'm going to die, but not for a very, very long time. I said, I'm very fit and healthy. And by the time that I die, you'll be grown up and maybe even have children of your own. But right now, I'm not going to die. So that's sort of for young children. But if somebody really is going to die... I think it's a question of, it's very difficult for children to accept this, but it's a question of actually being honest as you feel you can be. And in the event of, say, an elder person dying, to explain to them that this is normal, we can't live forever. And it's sad, it's very sad. I'm going to say it was my mum, for instance, you know, I'm really going to miss her. You know, she's been a brilliant mum to me and she's always been there in my life and I'm going to be really sad and I'll be all right. And I'll be able to look after you because that's also important. So if it's a family member or a close relative who dies or even close, a friend of the family, it's really important for children to be able to go to the funeral. Mm. A lot of times people say, we don't want to take the children to the funeral because it'll upset them. But actually, children are not so upset by funerals. It's real. They get to see what's happening they can't understand death according to what age they are, but most of us don't really understand it anyway, I think. But to um, you know, allow them to be part of the funeral and later on when they're older, they will know they've been there. That's really important, mm. to be included in that. And sometimes, you know, appalling things happen. Parents die, even when children are young. They need to be able to be there. The next thing they need is to be able to be as sad, as upset, as angry, as silent as whatever they want to be so that they can process it themselves and it takes different children different lengths of time to process if it's a question of young children losing a parent for instance they normally push it straight into the unconscious 
So it's quite useful to keep speaking about that person, including them, having memories and just talking about that person because for children it can be overwhelming and they don't know how to talk about it. But in the family, you can talk about it. So it's about, I think, being real, getting to understand that, you know, life is difficult at times and we can't control it. And children need the support of both being allowed to feel their feelings, being supported with those, and also being given age-appropriate information about what's going on. Mm. I remember being given a choice to go to the funerals of my grandparents when I was younger. And looking back at it, I don't know if I was really old enough to make the right decision because I chose not to go, but I didn't really know what I was saying no to. Yeah, I think, of how could you, in a way, if you've never yeah. been to one, especially. Um, there's a bit of a cultural thing here as well about how funerals are seen and different cultures will have different ideas about children being there or not being there. My view is that children handle it very well. They see what's really happening. They can say goodbye to that person. And um, it's more real. I think children do well with what's real. Yeah, and people do die, so it's good to move through that with them instead of pretending it doesn't happen. So a change in circumstances like moving house or town or a parent losing their job or maybe even taking on more work or something similar. Big changes to routine can potentially be disruptive. What is good to look out for in these inevitable situations? So if you're going to move house, for instance, if the child is quite young, say under six, so we say, when you move house, say, to another town, even if you don't move very far away, you move away from everything that's familiar for them, you know, their room, their house, their street, their garden, their local shop, whatever. <laughs> everything disappears. So it can be very big disruption for, for kids. If you move away when children are older, they've probably got very connected to friends and they won't want to leave away from friends. So generally speaking, this won't be a very popular thing to do I think and some people move endlessly because their parents job moves them all over the world so I think the first thing again is just before it happens is to speak about it what's going to happen manage the expectations don't tell them it's all going to be wonderful and better and whatever but this is going to be a big change I mean don't be scared to say this is going to be a big change for all of us and all of us are going to have an adventure and all of us are going to discover you know, this next place we're going to go to and tell them something about the next place you're going to go to. Why are you going to go? Why are you moving? You know, have them in the conversation with it. And then when it comes to actually moving, that can also be quite traumatic. And some parents I know send their kids off to stay with somebody else while they actually move. And that can be quite a shock for children. I think they'd rather be watching the packing up of the boxes, to be honest, than seeing what's happening, rather than they go off and they stay with, with a family friend or something and everything's gone when they come back. I think that's a bit more shocking. So involve them in, in the move or the change. So I've been working with a 14-year-old boy recently and his father lost his job and this child had been in a private prep school and was immediately overnight moved into a state school, which was a massive change, a bit of a rough state school. It was a massive change for him. And he didn't have any preparation time for that. And the parents then realised that that school, he was being given a really tough time, so they moved him to another school and then another school. So he had a lot of changes. But the effect for him was really quite shocking and that shock really stayed with him 
until we worked together and he could really realize why he was so shy now, why he was so sad now, why he didn't dare speak up in the group now. And very quickly he understood that. And um, he's now, after, I don't know, we met maybe about five or six times, he's now returned to himself. He's fully involved in school, he's speaking up in the group, he's happier in himself and he's managing his emotions really well. So the difficulty there was that was a shock, you know, and a shock to the father, a shock to the whole family and particularly a shock to the child. So, you know, it's better not to shock things. So I know some people lose their job overnight, which is really difficult. But if there could be some, you know, don't take the child out of school next day. You know, If there can be some leeway, some time to say what's happened. So I think you need to say, you know, this is what's happened. And you gave the instance of the father losing the job, the mother could lose the job. You know, whoever the breadwinner has lost the job and therefore that's financially very serious this happens often but it's just to really again explain this this is what happened and um, this happens in life these are things happened and we will be okay because we're going to do this and that so even if you don't fully know you're going to be okay I think it's good to say to kids you know we're going to find a way Mm. you know we're going to find a way to do something else it might mean we have to do this or that quite often kids have to come out of private education if that's what they're in you know it's not the end of the world So sometimes it's the end of the world to the family, but actually it's not. So, you know, this is this is just really sorry. This is what's happening and we can't afford that. So we're going to do this other thing. And it's not the end of the world. The end of the world really is when somebody dies. That's really the end of the world. Yeah, it is the end of the world for the person who's died, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and it's an end-of-the-world situation for close family members. It's a really distressing... Not not if it's an elderly person who's lived a full life. Mm. I mean, the Chinese say anybody over 80, if you go to a funeral of somebody over 80, it's a laughing funeral because they've mm. had a great time. Mm. Mm. But, um, you know, people die young and that's very shocking. I think it's... I imagine it's good to teach children how to adapt and change to different life circumstances as well. Yeah, it builds resilience, providing that they are allowed to have their feelings, that they're supported with their feelings, and that they're given the support they need in the next situation, whatever that might be. Mm. I mean, the other thing that sometimes happens, it's siblings die, you know, mm. or siblings get very ill and need special care. That affects everybody in the family a lot. And quite often, if you've got a sibling who needs special care, then a lot of the energy in the family goes to them, and the other children don't get the same amount of attention. And that can be very difficult for them. But it's just, again, acknowledging it. I'd like to give you more attention. I haven't got more time. You know, you're as important to me as everybody else, but I just haven't got more time. Mm. Really sorry. Mm. Just be real. I mean, I, we just seem to have an inability to just be real with kids. And we can also, at a later date, always acknowledge those difficulties when you've got the the headspace to deal with it if you don't necessarily notice it in the moment and we're going to talk about that more in another episode called making repair so I want to talk about dealing with bullying because it's super prevalent today and obviously a lot of it happens now online 38% of people see instances of cyberbullying on social media daily one in five kids report to having missed school because of cyberbullying that's a report by UNICEF What do you advise in this area? Mm -hmm. So there's bullying and there's cyberbullying, I think. Let's do just bullying, in-person bullying to start with. Sure. 
if a child is being bullied, it's often at school or bullied by another person and they come to tell you that, take it seriously. You know, really take it seriously and look into it and support your child once you've looked into it. And consider also what is it about your child that might get bullied? Like what is it about them that presents themselves as a potential victim? That's something also to kind of think about. How can you strengthen them? But definitely stand up to bullying. Go to the school if it's at school. If it's, a, if it's another child, go to the parent of that child. Children need to be protected. They need to have parents stand up for them. According to what situation is, is what you'll do next. But I think definitely children need to be protected from that. And also taught ways in which they can stand up to other kids. Because they can sort of learn how to defend themselves, if you like. In terms of cyberbullying, it's much more tricky because it's sort of a bit unseen in a way. So the whole issue with children having phones, for instance, where a lot of bullying happens on phones, is that they can be bullied on phones and parents need to constantly look at their children's phone constantly, you know, from time to time, regularly, look at their children's phone to see what's going on on the phone, what are the messages, what's on their WhatsApp, what's coming through on other channels and consider what channels are safe for your child to be on and what channels they shouldn't be on. So a lot of people are trying to get their kids off TikTok because they find that it's a, a platform that's a lot of bullying happening on. And teach your children about the social media side of life, about how to protect themselves, about the importance of not sending out messages or photographs of themselves that can be used against them. There's a naivety about when they're sending it to a friend and they don't realise that that friend can send it on and they can also send it on and put in messages that you haven't put in. So there needs to be education for the parents and for the children. And I think that, you know, it's again, it needs to be stood up to, but it's quite difficult to do that. If children at school, I think it's, a, it's an issue also to take to school because the schools are trying to cope with this increase in social media bullying and just generally the children's well-being I mean it's something that's very difficult mm. and I know that I've read reports in the past that state children don't recognize necessarily what is bullying and what types of phrases or words are abusive and so I would imagine a conversation around different types of language and ways of conversing with people online is a way of educating them to notice when they may be getting bullied. Absolutely. And this is why to look at your child's phone and to see what is the timbre of what's being said there and, ex and point out when something's inappropriate. That's really important. The other thing is take your children's phone away from them in the evening, depending on their age. Don't leave them with their phone because this can go on all night. Mm. So shit is hitting the fan globally at the moment with climate change. UNICEF found that nine in ten children are concerned about climate change. How does one navigate the prevalent eco-anxiety amongst the youth now? And I presume that managing optimism and reality must be an interesting dance. So a friend of mine did an amazing theatre piece in Edinburgh and she says, Mummy, mummy, why did you choose to have a child at the end of the world? And I have had nightmares about my children turning around to me and saying that. 
Yeah, that's a very, very serious situation, isn't it? Well, I think the first thing is we do have a serious environmental issue and climate issue. So we have to be honest and real about that. In terms of what you're going to say to your child is why do you decide to have a child at the end of the world, I think would be to say, do you think it's the end of the world? What, what makes you think it's the end of the world? And I wonder what world you're thinking about when you say that and have a conversation about that. And then I think, again, it's being real. You know, we haven't looked after the planet well. You know, we do need to change our ways. Think of some projects that we can have that will help this. So involve your children in, I don't know, growing some vegetables if you've got a garden or going out on a litter pickup or, you know, using less energy or getting them involved in being the solution, I think, would be really helpful. And everybody can do something. You know, we can be less wasteful. We can save energy. We can be more creative with how we cook food and don't waste food. I mean, I do think that children can be involved and would like to be involved. And certainly, you know, being in nature and thinking about nature and talking about nature and involving kids, I think. Even if you don't have a garden and you've got a windowsill, you can grow some herbs, you can teach them how to plant seeds and how things grow and actually how strong nature really is because I think nature is incredibly strong. You know, most likely the planet will survive. We may not as a species, but I think the planet will. But I think there's no good all of us just sort of saying, oh, it's all hopeless and we can't do anything about it and sitting in a depression. I think we acknowledge that, you know, we really need to take action and what action can each of us take? And children can also take action. I think they feel a lot better if they can do something. Yeah, be the change you wish to see and all that. So physically engaging them in activities that are solution-based so that they can focus on that. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, someone might want to give a present to a child and, you know, with something like the wild the wildlife fund, you can adopt an animal, you can help in that sort of way, you can learn about the animal, you can learn about the habitat. I mean, I think getting them engaged with nature and finding something that they individually can do would be very helpful. Mm. So generally, the theme for all of these topics that we've hit, obviously, there's so many other scenarios where shit really hits the fan. But mostly, it's taking responsibility for your part in the shit, owning that, age appropriately discussing that with your kids. Yeah, am I missing anything else? Well, I think one thing we have at the moment, which is incredibly real, is the cost of living increase. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing for kids to get their head around. So money is a huge stress in people's lives. But now especially, you know, there's really going to be a need to turn the thermostat down, to eat differently maybe. There's a lot of stuff now that's going to be necessary for very many people. And I think that somehow can be very upsetting for children. So how you manage to talk to them about that and how you manage also to see the solutions in that. And so it may well be that people will be living in very cold houses. You know, an awful lot of children are going to school hungry. Any amount of talking won't solve that. <laughs> you know, we need to solve that as a society. But at least we can have empathy for, you know, changes that are going on in the family. And we can say, look, I'm really, really sorry. You know, this is the difficulty right now. You know, we're going to figure out how to handle this. You know, we're going to get some help from somewhere. Because there are going to be a lot of very real problems that are going to affect families and therefore affect children and just talking the truth to them won't be enough <laughs> you know they've got to find mm. some solutions but be be empathetic again allow them to feel what they feel they may be very angry they may be very sad allow them to feel that but for parents you know who really want to be able to feed their kids 
it's one of the awful things that if you can't look after your kids, you can't feed them, you're going to feel very inadequate. So the parents themselves are going to have a tough time. So build some community, get together with others, see what creative solutions there can be. And you might have to take another job. That might also be part of it. And the children might have less time. But if it's all explained and spoken about, I think it'll be easier for them to handle it. So I do think that, you know, we can always communicate and listen and allow people to have the experience they have and they'll work their way through it. But there's some real very definite challenges right now for families. Mm. And a lot of what we're talking about is taking ownership of your own stuff and allowing your child to experience the pain or difficulty they're experiencing starts with you dealing with your own. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think that's a good place to start. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Kitty. Some difficult topics covered in this episode and it's been great to get some sterling advice on how to communicate with your children about hard life events. Maybe you've already experienced some of the issues discussed in the episode and wish you had handled them better. If that's you, I have some great news. In our next episode, it's all about making repair and how it's never too late.